Thank you for listening to this CNN podcast. You can subscribe to your favorite CNN podcast with iTunes, with the Apple Podcast app on iOS, or with Stitcher if you're on Android. Tonight, the Democratic candidates on one stage in Iowa. Help me make it happen. Everybody ready to make a political revolution? The final forum before the first presidential votes, just one week away. Are you excited about the future? Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Martin O'Malley taking tough questions from voters on the hottest issues within their party and across the heartland. I am not going to let the Republicans rip up Obamacare. If a bank is too big to fail, it's too big to exist. We should make it hard for criminals to get guns and easy for all Americans to vote. With Iowa up for grabs, their differences are clearer and the stakes are even higher. When we do not allow Donald Trump and the others to divide us up, there is nothing, nothing that we cannot accomplish. This is a CNN Democratic Town Hall event. A chance for Iowa voters to drive the presidential debate with Decision Day around the corner. We're getting into that period before the caucus that I kind of call the let's get real period. Iowans are choosing. The nation is watching. And candidates are trying to close the deal with voters right now. We are live at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, to hear from the Democratic presidential candidates and the people who matter most in this election, the voters. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world, and of course, here in Iowa, where we're being seen on our CNN affiliates across the state. We also want to welcome our servicemen and women who are watching on the American Forces Network around the world, and to our listeners on the Westwood One Radio Network and Sirius XM Channel 116. I'm Chris Cuomo, and we really are thrilled to have you all with us. Now, there have been debates, there have been interviews. Tonight, something different. A chance for the people who will decide to ask the questions themselves. As you know, the people of this state are the first in the nation to have a say on who will serve in the Oval Office. They only have seven days left to make up their minds. In this hall tonight, Iowa voters who plan to attend the Democratic caucuses next Monday night. They were invited by CNN and our partners, the Iowa Democratic Party and Drake University. Audience members submitted questions to us. We have screened them to make sure they cover a variety of important issues, and they do. However, the candidates do not know what the questions will be. Many of the voters joining us tonight are undecided. Some are leaning toward a particular candidate. Now, in a bit, we're going to talk with Governor Martin O'Malley and Secretary Hillary Clinton. But first, please welcome Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Chris, how are you? Good to see you, Senator. Busy day? Yes. And my wife told me to button my coat, but I think I'm too fat, so I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I'll do the same then. I'll do the same. So, do you remember 
When we first started talking about this election many months ago, you weren't sure that you wanted to run. You were not sure, you said, that there was an appetite in this country to discuss the problems between rich and poor. How, how surprised are you by hashtag feel the burn <laughs> and all that has followed? Chris, our message has resonated much faster, much further than I thought it would. And I think what the American people are perceiving is there is something very wrong in this country when ordinary Americans are working longer hours for low wages, when we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any major country on earth, and almost all new income and wealth is going to the top 1%. And then on top of that, people see that that rigged economy is sustained by a corrupt, and I use that word advisedly, a corrupt campaign finance system that allows billionaires today to spend as much money as they want through super PACs to elect the candidates of their choice. And all over this country, and it's not just Democrats, it is conservatives, it is Republicans are saying that is not what America is supposed to be about. So if you're asking me, why is it that our campaign has created the kind of momentum that it has, I think we are touching a nerve with the American people who understand that establishment politics is just not good enough. We need bold changes. We need a political revolution. So you have centered. You have centered your campaign on this idea of income inequality. Uh, interestingly, President Obama, talking about the job just this morning, says you do not have the luxury of focusing on just one thing when you're president of the United States. You have to be able to handle many different um, priorities. Do you think you are up? to the whole job. Of course. President Obama is obviously right. Being a president is an enormously difficult job. It's a, a job that entails dealing with a million different issues. I think I have the background. Uh, I think I have the judgment to do that. Uh, I would remind you and remind the viewers uh, that in 2002, when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney said we should go to war in Iraq, Bernie Sanders listened very carefully and I said, no, I think that war is a dumb idea. I helped lead the opposition to that war. And if you go to my website, listen to what I said. And sadly enough, it gives me no joy. Much of what I feared would happen did happen. I do believe I have the background for the job. Well, it is time for you to make the case. Let's do it with the people who matter, the voters. The first question for you, Senator Sanders, comes from Jerry Odie. She says she is an undecided voter. Jerry? Yes, Senator, some of your detractors have called you a socialist on occasions, and you don't seem too troubled by that, and sometimes embrace it. I wondered if you could elaborate on sure. that, and it, just to show us what the comfort level you have, your definition of it, so that it doesn't concern the rest of us citizens. Well, what democratic socialism means, to me, is that economic rights, the right for economic security, is should exist in the United States of America. It means to me that there's something wrong when we have millions of senior citizens today trying to get by on $11,000, $12,000 a year Social Security. It means there's something wrong when the rich get richer and almost everybody else gets poor. It means there is something wrong and government should play a role in making sure that all of our kids, regardless of their income, are able to get a higher education which is why I'm calling for free tuition at public colleges and universities and why we have to deal with this horrendous level of student debt that people are having. 
Now, what's going on in countries around the world, in Scandinavia and in Germany, the ideas that I am talking about are not radical ideas. So what democratic socialism means to me in its essence is that we cannot continue to have a government dominated by the billionaire class and a Congress that continues to work for the interest of the people on top while ignoring working families. What this campaign is about and what I believe in is creating a government that works for all of us, not just a handful of people on the top. That's my definition of democratic socialism. Hmm. Next question. Renee Segrin. She's a nurse. She says she's undecided. Uh, she sees how health care plays out every day. She has a concern for you. Please, Renee. Senator Sanders, you have branded your program, your single-payer health program, as Medicare for All. And Medicare has a reputation of having some problems. Uh, let me cite one example. A, a man in our clinic uh, went into the donut hole in September and could not afford the $1,200 a month it would cost him for insulin. So he had to decrease his dose to make his insulin stretch. So what do you, why do you think that people would support your Medicare for All program? Well, I think people will support my medical, Medicare for All program because the United States today is the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people as a right. Now, I'm on the committee that wrote the Affordable Care Act, and I think the Affordable Care Act has done a lot of good things. But yet we have 29 million people without any health insurance. Your point is there are seniors today, and I meet them every day, who cannot afford the outrageously high cost of prescription drugs because in America everybody should know this. We pay by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. Last year, while one out of five Americans cannot afford the prescriptions, their doctors write, last year the three major drug companies made $45 billion in profit because they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbying and campaign contributions. So I believe we should join the rest of the world. I believe as a principle, Everybody should be entitled to health care as a right, comprehensive health care. And by the way, if we move toward a Medicare for all, not only do we cover the needs of all people, including that gentleman, we will save middle class people thousands of dollars a year on their health care bills because now we pay by far per capita much, much more than any other country on earth. It is time, in my view, for us to have the courage to take on the insurance companies, take on the drug companies, and provide health care to all people at an affordable cost. The criticism is, the criticism is, to pay for this, what you're really asking for is one of the biggest tax hikes in history. And that is the criticism. But Chris, that is an unfair criticism for the following reason. If you are paying now $10,000 a year to a private health insurance company, and I say to you hypothetically, you're going to pay $5,000 more in taxes, or actually less than that, but you're not going to pay any more private health insurance, are you going to be complaining about the fact that I've saved you $5,000 in your total bills? So it's demagogic to say, oh, you're paying more in taxes. 
Let's also talk about we are going to eliminate, eliminate private health insurance premiums and payments, not only for individuals, but for businesses as well. Again, we are the only country on earth that allows private insurance companies to rip us off. We spend three times more than the British, 50% more than the French. We can do better than we're doing right now. But just to be clear, you are going to raise taxes to do this. Yes, we will raise, we will raise, the, we will raise taxes. Yes, we will. But also let us be clear, Chris, because there's a little bit of disingenuity out there. We may raise taxes, but we are also going to eliminate private health insurance premiums for individuals and for businesses. All right, next question. Sean Collison, law student at Drake, says he's undecided. What do you have? I think you've introduced a lot of programs that could help a lot of people. Uh, my question is, realistically, how do we fund those programs? Good. Where can we reallocate or cut spending on other programs? Sean, great question and a very fair question. And I start off with the premise that in the last 30 years, although my Republican friends don't like the term, there has been a massive redistribution of wealth in this country. It's gone from working families, trillions of dollars, to the top one-tenth of one percent. So yes, what this campaign is about is to say to profitable corporations who in some years don't pay a nickel in taxes, to the wealthiest people in this country who sometimes have an effective tax rate lower than truck drivers or nurses, yeah, you are going to start paying your fair share of taxes. Now, how am I going to pay to make certain that public colleges and universities are tuition-free and we substantially lower interest rates on student debt? I pay for that because we're going to ask Wall Street to pay a tax on speculation. We are also believing, I believe, that after the working families of this country bailed out Wall Street, maybe it's their time to help the middle class of this country. Now, I believe that we have an infrastructure that is crumbling. That's roads, bridges, rail, airports, levees, dams. We all know what's happening in Flint, Michigan, water systems, wastewater plants. I believe that if we end this absurdity of allowing corporations who make billions of dollars a year in profits to stash their money in the Cayman Islands, Bermuda, and other tax havens, we eliminate that, we're going to bring $100 billion into the Treasury. That money goes into rebuilding our infrastructure, creating 13 million jobs in five years with a trillion dollar investment. I have paid for all of our proposals. Right. Senator? Then the pushback becomes how you pay. Now, in this room, you're preaching to the converted somewhat, right? These are uh, presumptively Democrats. But uh, you will hear people say that your paying for it is actually punitive. You're going to punish uh, people who make money. You're going to punish the financial district. You're going to uh, punish and wind up changing the idea of an open and free economy because you're going to punish them for speculating, which means they won't speculate as much, which means you won't get as much activity. And if you do a checklist of how you pay for everything, what you're doing is amassing the biggest government ever after President Clinton said the era of big government was over. Seems like Bernie Sanders is saying not only if it's over, I'm going to do it bigger than ever. All right. We got to put what I am doing in context. And here's the context. 
Today in America, we have more income and wealth inequality than we have had since 1928. There has, Chris, been a massive transfer of wealth. I'm talking about trillions of dollars from the pockets of working families into the hands of the top one-tenth of one percent. That's a fact. So if you are telling me that at a time when Wall Street's recklessness, greed, and illegal behavior brought this country to its knees, that I am going to say to them that they're going to have to start paying their fair share of taxes? Fine. If that's the criticism, I accept it. I demand that Wall Street start paying its fair share of taxes. Second of all, and what about the idea that you're bringing back the era of big government and making it bigger than ever? Again, I believe, you know, and Iowa has played a very interesting role in the fight for public education. Mm -hmm. And for 100 plus years, what we have believed public education to be is up to the 12th grade. Free public education up to the 12th grade. Guess what? The world has changed. A college degree today is the equivalent of what a high school degree was 50 years ago. People want to criticize me? Fine. I believe that every kid in this country who has the ability and the desire should be able to get a higher education regardless of the income of his family. And I will pay for that through attacks on Wall Street speculation. They don't criticize the goal. They criticize the method of how you achieve it. Give me a yes or no on that. Is the era of big government back with President Sanders? The era of protecting the middle class and working families is certainly something that I will make happen. I believe, for example, that when my Republican colleagues talk about cutting Social Security, I say that when you live in on $12,000 a year Social Security, no, we shouldn't cut it. We should expand Social Security. And we do that by lifting the cap on taxable income. So, Chris, this is what I think. This is what I think. When we live in a nation of so much income and wealth inequality, where the top one-tenth of one percent owns as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent, when the 20 wealthiest people own more wealth than the bottom half of America, that is not, to me, what the American economy should be about. So yes, people want to criticize me, okay, I will take on the greed of corporate America and the greed of Wall Street and fight to protect the middle class. Next question, Ron Edwards says he's undecided. Ron, what's your question for the senator? Senator, given the ongoing gridlock in Washington and the continuing Republican resistance toward President Obama's initiatives and the likelihood that Republicans will win uh, control over uh, at least one House of Congress, uh, as president, what specifically will you do to overcome the resistance, cure the gridlock, and garner the necessary support to implement your initiatives and actually get something done in Washington? Great question. Um, let me answer it, <clears throat> if I might, in two ways. I am probably the most progressive member in the U.S. Senate. But I have, over the years, not only in the Senate but in the House, worked with Republicans when there was common ground. When I was in the House, in a number of years, I got more amendments passed on the floor of the House working with Republicans than anyone else. I was number one, number two. In the Senate, just a couple of years ago, in a dysfunctional Congress, I work with people like John McCain, people like Jeff Miller over in the House, to pass the most comprehensive veterans health care legislation in the modern history of the United States of America. 
I have worked with Republicans when there is common ground throughout my career. But this is what I also want to say. In my view, you have a Congress today that is much more worried about protecting the interests of the wealthy and the powerful and making sure they get campaign contributions from the wealthy and the powerful. If we are serious about rebuilding the American middle class, if we are serious about providing paid family and medical leave to all of our people, if we are serious about ending the disgrace of having so many of our children live in poverty, the real way to do it is to have millions of Americans finally stand up and say enough is enough for people to get engaged in the political process, to finally demand that Washington represent all of us, not just a handful of very wealthy people. That's the way you bring about real change. Next question, Alexis Kulash, Drake University student, a bulldog, uh, leaning in favor of Hillary Clinton, but she wants to explain why. Uh, give me a shot here, Alexis. <laughs> Senator, recently you named Planned Parenthood and the Human Rights Campaign as part of the political establishment that you plan to take on. Um, how are you going to fight for women's rights more effectively than a female candidate with endorsements from organizations like no, these? No, no, that's not quite accurate. I have a 100% pro-choice voting record. In every speech that I give, what I say is not only do we stop the Republican efforts to try to defund Planned Parenthood, we should expand funding for Planned Parenthood. Now, what I said, what I said on a television program, and I did not say it well, is that sometimes the base of an organization looks at the world a little bit differently than the leadership. So if you have a 100% Planned Parenthood voting record, 100% pro-choice voting record, there are people who are asking, why is the leadership not either supporting Bernie Sanders or why are they, you know, opposing him? And my point is that I will fight. These are great organizations. I met with Planned Parenthood. They do a fantastic job, not only in defending women's rights in general, but talking about sexuality in America, they are a fantastic organization. Count me in as somebody who strongly supports them. So this was simply a question of endorsement policy, not whether or not I strongly support these organizations. Alexis, Alexis vote yet? Alexis, no, correct, she's saying as to the premise of the question, not to whether or not you have a vote. Okay, I think she's going to have to decide on I, I, I'm, um, just, I'm just kidding, but that is the difference. I support the organization. Alexis, second aspect to your question, though, right? You said then the first female president. How do you think that you would be as helpful to women as a woman president would? Yeah. What about that aspect? That's what Hillary Clinton represents on one level uh, to voters, that she would be the first female president, and there is something special in that, especially yeah, when it I, comes to women's issues. And of course, I understand that. Uh, but I think if you look at my record in terms of fighting for women's rights, I think there are very few members of Congress who have a stronger record. It's 100% lifetime. And I've been there for a while. In addition to that, you know, there have, as you know, women are making 79 cents on the dollar compared to men. That is nothing but old-fashioned sexism, and I am a strong advocate and will fight for pay equity for women. I believe that, and it's not only women, although it impacts women, it impacts women of color even greater. This level of 
pay inequality, inequity, is extraordinary. So we're going to fight for pay equity, make sure that everybody earns the same amount for the same work. Also, what we have got to do is people cannot make it on eight, nine, ten bucks an hour. We have got to raise the minimum wage in this country to a living wage. That will impact all people. It will impact women more than men as we raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. All right, so well, one more point, one more point, Chris. I'm trying to win her vote. Leave right, me alone here. I'm trying to... <laughs> All right. Hillary Clinton and I have a disagreement on a very important issue that impacts everybody, but especially women. I believe that we should expand Social Security benefits by lifting the cap on taxable income. That will help millions of low-income seniors, especially women. Ask Hillary Clinton if she's prepared to lift the cap on taxable income. All right, Alexis. I want to put you a little bit on the spot. Now that you heard the answer, what do you think now? And he looks like that even when he's happy. So don't worry about his particular reaction. So after the answer, where are you? Same place, open-minded, what do you got? It definitely means I'm going to have some hard thinking to do in the next week. But it reassures me, and it was a good plan to speak about. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take progress where you find it. All right, we'll give Alexis some time to thank the rest of you as well. We have more questions for Senator Sanders and his final pitch to these Iowa voters when we come back. Stay with us. This is Christiana Manpour letting you know that you can now get my show in an audio podcast Monday through Friday. We bring you the latest in international news and the biggest interviews and the toughest questions for world leaders. And now you can listen with the podcast. Welcome back to the CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall here at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. We're here with Senator Bernie Sanders. We've been talking about the issues. You were working on a young woman there trying to get her vote. I have another woman I think you got some work left to do on. Her name is Secretary Clinton. She has an ad out now. You both put out big ads. I know how you feel about yours. Let's take a look at Secretary Clinton's ad and get your take on it, Senator, right here in the The world a president has to grapple with, sometimes you can't even imagine. That's the job. And she's prepared for it like no other. A tireless Secretary of State standing up against the abuse of women and girls, negotiating a ceasefire in Gaza, leading the diplomacy that keeps us out of war. The presidency is the toughest job in the world, and she's the one leader who has what it takes to get every part of the job done. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. The argument is, sure, Bernie's got the heart, but I have the head. You have to be experienced. You have to know what to do. <laughs> is Secretary Clinton simply better prepared for the job than you, sir? Don't leave. We have another 15 minutes. <laughs> No, th th this calls for a standing up response. Okay. That's all. all right, let me shock everybody here. This is true. I've known Hillary Clinton for 25 years. You know what? I like Hillary Clinton and I respect Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton has devoted her life to public service. And I have tried, as I hope you all know, not to run a negative campaign, 
not to be attacking every other day to keep this discussion on a high level where we debate the issues facing this country. And by the way, with a few exceptions, we're doing a lot better than the Republicans in that regard. But on the other hand, that's not a very high bar to reach, so it's... All right, but what, what is this? All right, what do I think? Let me just give you a couple of examples. The truth is that the most significant vote and issue regarding foreign policy that we have seen in this country in modern history was the vote on the war in Iraq. Okay, that's the fact. I voted against the war in Iraq, and if you go to my website, listen to the speech that I gave when I was in the House in 2002, saying, yeah, it's easy to get rid of a dictator like Saddam Hussein, but there's going to be a political vacuum, there will be instability, and it gives me no pleasure to tell you that much of what I feared, in fact, happened. Hillary Clinton voted for the war in Iraq. All right. In terms of Wall Street, I fought against deregulation, led the opposition to doing away with the Glass-Steagall legislation. Unfortunately, my side lost. Wall Street became deregulated. The rest is history. Wall Street has operated in a very significant way, in a fraudulent way. And obviously, their greed and recklessness helped destroy our economy and create the worst recession since the Great Depression. I led the effort against Wall Street deregulation. See where Hillary Clinton was on this issue. In terms of climate change, which everybody here knows, and apparently everybody in the world knows except Republican candidates for president, <laughs> is one of the great environmental crises facing this nation. On day one, I said the Keystone Pipeline is a dumb idea. Senator? Okay. I think the Bakken Pipeline and pipelines in Vermont and New Hampshire are dumb ideas. We've got to break our dependence on fossil fuel. Why did it take? Why did it take Hillary Clinton such a long time before she came into opposition to the Keystone Pipeline? Trade policy. I have understood from day one that our trade policies have cost us NAFTA, CAFTA, TNTR with China, millions of decent paying jobs. I didn't have to think hard about opposing the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It took Hillary Clinton a long time to come on board that. So, in other words, yeah, I do think I have the background and the judgment to take this very, very difficult job of being President of the United States. One point of pushback. We know we're in the final stretch here. Intensity gets higher when you're in the final stretch like we are right now. Yes. Uh, but on January 19th, you were talking about Secretary Clinton's experience argument, and you referred to Dick Cheney. You said he had a lot of experience, too. Right. Now, referring to Dick Cheney when talking about Hillary Clinton, not exactly the most highbrow way to conduct the election, look, some might suggest. My, my only point was, look, Secretary Clinton was Secretary of State of this country for four years. That is a lot of experience. There's no debate about that. I was not Secretary of State. But experience is important, but
But judgment is also important. And my own point was, in talking about Cheney, Dick Cheney, he had a lot of experience too. His policies with regard to foreign affairs was an absolute disaster. So experience is important, but it is not the only thing. And I would urge people to check out my views on foreign policy, how we deal with ISIS, and I think they will make a lot of sense to the people of Iowa and the people of our country. Let's get a question. Carrie Crawford says she's undecided, mother of three grown kids. What is your question? Hello, Senator Sanders. In uh, light of the recent uh, mass shootings, I'm interested to know how you're going to make inroads with the powerful gun lobby to establish um, more effective gun control legislation. And the second part of my question is, how will you support easier access to mental health care and Good. clinics? Good. All right, excellent questions. Now, I have been attacked, and in fact, this is an issue that Hillary Clinton has you know, focused on, and that's politics, and that's fine. Although some of you might recall that back in 2007, when she was running against Barack Obama, she also focused on that issue, but she thought that Obama was too strong on gun issues. And you may remember him referring to her, her as Annie Oakley. All right? Today, Hillary Clinton is running a lot of advertisements on gun issues. Interestingly enough, she's running most of them in New Hampshire, where she thinks it will work, not running so many of them in rural Iowa. Well, you can form your own judgment as to why that is the case. But to answer your question, in 1988, I ran for Vermont's lone seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. I ran as an independent against a Democrat or Republican. The gun lobbies said, vote for either the Democrat or Republican, don't vote for Bernie Sanders. This is 1988, because Bernie thinks that we should not be selling military-style assault weapons in the United States of America. Back in 1988, I lost that election by three percentage points. I cannot tell you that that was the only reason but I had the gun groups working against me back then. Since then, I have supported instant background checks, the expansion of instant background checks, because I believe our job, if we're gonna end these horrific mass murders, or at least have some impact in lessening the occurrence of them, we have gotta do our best to make sure that guns do not get into the hands of people who should not have them. Criminals, people with mental instability. I believe, as, Governor, as President Obama does, that we've got to deal with this gun show loophole, and that's what he's working on now with his executive order. People should not be able to circumvent the instant background check through the gun show or through the internet. I believe that we should make a federal crime of the so-called straw man situation where people are buying guns legally going through the instant background check, and then selling them to criminals. Senator, that, address your shift on the issue regarding manufacturers and their liability. Here just is to the remind issue. you guys, tell right. them where you were first and then what you just said recently. I voted for the bill. And the reason I voted for the bill is you got a bill which has a number of elements in it. Among other things, it has a section which says we should not be selling ammunition which will pierce policemen's armor and protection. I think that's the right thing. It had a section in it which said that we want to have safety locks for children on guns. That makes sense to me. It also had a provision in it which says the following, and people may disagree with me. This is my view. 
is that if you are a small gun shop in Vermont and I legally sell you a weapon, okay, you go out, buy that gun legally, and then you go out and kill somebody. I think the gun shop owner should not be held liable for your criminal act. That's what I believe. Now, within that bill also, there were some onerous provisions, not good provisions. What happens if a gun manufacturer is selling a whole lot of guns into an area, far more guns than that area can consume? And what happens if that gun owner, that gun manufacturer, should know that those guns are going into criminal hands? Should that gun manufacturer be held liable? Yes, he should. So I am willing now to look at that legislation, maintain what was good in it, get rid of what is bad in it. But isn't that kind of having it both ways? Like either they have liability as a manufacturer or they don't. The first argument seems to make sense. Why would they be exposed to liability that other manufacturers are not? But are you having it both ways? I don't think so, Chris. If you sell, if you're a small gun shop owner and you sell somebody a gun, legally, all right, you don't do anything wrong. That's what you do. You sell guns. Somebody buys the gun and then goes right. out and kills somebody. Do I think that gun shop owner should be held liable? I don't. What's the difference between selling one or selling a thousand? No, but the point is, ah, but here's the point. If a gun shop owner should know, why should somebody be buying a thousand guns? Somebody should be thinking that does not make a lot of sense. In that case, that gun shop owner or the gun manufacturer should be held liable. Okay, and that's the issue that I want to... Now, you asked me also about mental health. When I talk about health care for all, I absolutely include in that the fact that mental health should be treated as part of health care, should be available to all people. I... I get calls... I have gotten calls in my office, and I'm sure other senators have as well. This is the call. Somebody calls us up and said, I'm very worried about my brother. I'm worried what he might do to himself or, to answer your question, to somebody else. He may be homicidal. He may be suicidal. We have searched desperately to find health care, mental health treatment for him. We cannot find mental health treatment which is affordable, which is accessible. In my view, we have got to move in the direction of making sure that everybody in this country who has a mental health crisis gets health care when they need it, not two months from today. Carrie, how do you feel about the answer? I like the answer. That's sufficient. Thank you very much. All right. Have a seat, Senator. I'm tired following you around there. <laughs> in one place. If you followed me around today, you'd be a lot more tired. <laughs> <laughs> CNN Today, your brother was on. Uh, me? Your brother was on CNN Today. Yeah. Gave a great interview. He says that back in the day, you were a great athlete. Is that true? And if so, what was the sport? I'm not saying I don't believe it to be true. I'm saying, is it true? Uh, you and know, what was the sport? You know, families exaggerate a little bit. Uh, I was a very good athlete. I wouldn't say I was a great athlete. I was a pretty good basketball player. My elementary school in Brooklyn won the borough championship, but... <laughs> Hardly worth mentioning, but we did, yes. And yes, I did take third place in the New York City indoor one-mile race. Okay, well, you know, I would... 
Uh, I was a very good long-distance runner. I would say not a great runner, but I was captain of my track team, won a number of cross-country meets, and certainly won a whole lot of races. So good, very good, not great. Right. Now, this is what they call a bait-and-switch. Uh, I don't really care about your athletic uh, record. <laughs> <laughs> if you were elected president, you're 75 now, you would be the... 74! You were 74, going on 75. You're close to 75. I'm going on 75, so are you. You're going to be 75. <laughs> that's okay. true, that's true. You would be the oldest person elected president. Uh, you have medical records. You say yeah. you're going to release them. Yeah. Yeah. Should you release them to be fair to the voters of Iowa Absolutely. before they vote? I mean, they're sitting. Where are they, Jane? They're on our table right now. All right, we will release them. That's my wife. Um, yes, of course we'll release them. You're going to do it before Iowa? Yes, sure. And, and, you know, I am, you know, if there's wood here, I would knock on it. My uh, head's close enough. All right. I have been blessed uh, with good health and, and good endurance. Uh, and there's nothing in the medical records that is going to surprise anybody. And we will get them out as soon as possible. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Something else your brother said. Uh, he got emotional. He was saying, boy, would our parents be proud of the success that Bernie has had. You have to think about that as well. When you think about why you're doing this and what it means, what does it mean to you about what your parents would think if they saw you now? That they wouldn't believe it. I mean, we grew up, my dad came from Poland at the age of 17 uh, without a nickel in his pocket, couldn't speak English, and he never made a whole lot of money. And my brother and I and mom and dad grew up in a three and a half room rent-controlled apartment in Brooklyn, uh, New York. Uh, and we never had a whole lot of money. And, and if you ask me, you know, Chris, it, this would be so unimaginable. The fact that I'm a United States senator would have been beyond, really, anything that they would have thought possible. The fact that I am running for president of the United States, you know, I do think about it. And, um, you know, I think they're very proud. But it's certainly uh, something that um, I don't think they ever believed would have happened. You got 30 seconds. Tell the voters of Iowa what you want them to know. Look, Hillary Clinton is a very good person. Martin O'Malley is a very decent guy. So I'm not, you know, this is not a personal stuff. It just seems to me that the crises that we face as a country today, and we didn't even get into climate change to a significant degree, inequality, poverty in America, an obscene and unfair campaign finance system. These problems are so serious that we have got to go beyond establishment politics and establishment economics. In my view, we need a political revolution where millions of people stand up and say, you know what, that great government of ours belongs to all of us, not just the few. That's why I'm running for president. Thank you. Senator Sanders, thank you for taking the opportunity. Good luck to you in the Iowa caucuses next week. All right, our thanks to Senator Sanders. Coming up, Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley get their turns on stage, and our audience of Iowa voters is ready with a new slate of questions. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.